Thank him for our health, our strength, and his love and mercy upon us. Um, more than anything that I feel impressed that Allah's guiding me to tell us today is we 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 while we still have a chance, let's get our focus back. Some of us are 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 feeling depleted of energy. Some of us are feeling like we're, our backs are against the wall. Some of us are feeling like we're not growing no further than where we are right now. There's a lot of things going on, but what I hear a lot telling us, including myself, is while we still have the opportunity, we need to pick ourselves back up from where we are and put ourselves back on the track and continue to run this race. I know we get tired. I know we get frustrated. But in the end, the law is still good, and we can't give up. Amen. Amen. We, no matter what comes our way, we cannot give up. If anything, we can tell ourselves that God's been too good for me to come this far to give up now. Yes. Like I said, we pick ourselves up. Yes, I can admit Satan has thrown some punches over the last few months. Some of them landed. Some of them hurt. Some of us got some black eyes right now. Some of us got some bloody noses right now. But the thing is, we still stand it. And like they do yeah. in the movies where you where you take your thumb and you wipe the blood off and you look at it and you say, is, there, is that all you got? Is that all you got? And so, uh, so I feel impressed in my spirit today and got it to remind us, get get up. Get up. That's yeah. the only thing I hear a lot saying right now is get up. Get Amen. up and fight back because Satan is whooping the mess out of some of us. And, and, and when I say, say it, I'm not saying physically, but I'm saying mm-hmm. emotionally and spiritually he is draining us. And as I tried to explain before, the way the gin work is they will not outright just attack you right away. They set up situations whether it be through family, friends, work, environment, that put you in a box and they become like vampires and they suck you dry of all life. Because they be, because before they destroy us physically, they got to kill us spiritually. If, if a djinn or an enemy of yours can kill you spiritually, everything else is easy. As long as my spirit is alive... You can do whatever to this body, and I'm still going to thrive. But you kill my spirit, which is my life, my joy, my peace, my comfort, all that. You take that away from me, there's nothing left. It's just a matter of giving the final blow where you just throw up your hands and you give up. So if I could tell you anything that I hear a lot saying today that we are going to encourage ourselves on, it's going to be get up. And fight back. Okay, so John 4, and as normal, this will be an open class of something is said that needs to be stated in a different way. You can either just jump in or press star 5 on your phone, and I'll be able to see your hand. All right, so in John 4, we are going to start in verse 3. So in verse 3 of John 4, it says, And he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Stop there for a minute. Well, I'll come back to it. I'll come back to that. Verse 5, 
Then he cometh to a city of Samaria, which is which is called Sychar, near the parcel of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that saith to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. Okay, so we'll pause there and break this down a little bit. So this is a familiar story that we're all familiar with, but we want to see how this could apply to us spiritually today. So let's jump back up to verse um, 4, where it says that he must needs go through Samaria. So if I just put it in English, he had to go to Samaria. Question, why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? So, Jihad, I'll start with you and your thinking. And your thinking, why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? For that, for that, this very moment that we're reading about where he meets this woman at the well. Okay. So, so Jihad says that he had to go to Samaria because this ordained destined moment between this man and this woman had to happen. All right, we put that on the table. Sister Samaya, what would be your thinking? Why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? Um, I agree. And um, okay. not, only do I, not only do I agree, but uh, it wasn't just only about her because she did um she somewhat had a ministry too because she went and spread the word right right so piggybacking off something sister samaya just said keep in mind in the story that by the time jesus is done with this lady she's so amazed and amused with him that she runs back into her hometown of samaria and begins to broadcast to everybody to come meet a man. Come see this man who I believe is the Messiah. And it was because, of, like Sister Samaya just said, it was because of her testimony that the town came to see Jesus and the things that happened in this place happened because she took the word back to her people after her experience with Jesus. Okay, so um, uh, Sister Beth, somebody else came. Oh, Sister Felicia came in. How you doing, Sister Felicia? Oh, I'm doing okay. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Okay, ah, we're in John four. By the way, I don't know how 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 soon ago you had came in. Uh, oh, I came in, in John when you 4. were get up and um, fight back when you were getting okay. that. I just didn't okay. want to interrupt. So. Oh, you're good. You're good, Sister Beth. In your mind, why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? I thought, and I could be so, so, so wrong. I really could. Who knows? 
Um, but I thought that was like a prophecy of a certain path that the Messiah must take in his journey, like, and he had to fulfill that prophecy. Okay, okay. Uh, and as a solicitor, you know, I'm probably making stories. I'm probably making stories, but I don't remember. No, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. So, Felicia, what do you think in your mind he had to? Well, I mean, I believe that, you know, there are certain situations and times when God sends you. And so I feel that the had was so that he was being obedient to God in whatever instructions or, you know, assignments that God had to follow, you know, to follow on him. So I don't okay. know if you were looking okay. for this particular reason in the in the story as to why he had to go, but I took it to mean that in his spiritual self and his connection and relationship with God, he had to go. I got you. No, I wasn't looking for anything specific. Particular, I just want to know what y'all would think. I'm going to answer the question, regardless as to the the reason why he had to. I just want to know what you all thought as he why he had to go. So let me remind you of something. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he makes it very clear, coming right out the gate, that he was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that Jesus, out of his own mouth, his mission was to go back and regain those who had went off the path of his own people, Israel. The part of the story that you don't hear about in church, you probably heard it here and there, but it's not really driven in our minds, is that the Samaritans were Jews, or let me say it a different way so that we can connect dots. The Samaritans were Hebrew people, but they had branched off and went and started their own organization. There was a church. you got to, you got to remember there was a church split that happened amongst Israel. Half the group went one way and the other group went the other way. Well, the Samaritans, as you know them in the Bible, were the one part of the group that went off the other way. So these were Samaritan Jews, and this is why they were at Jacob's well. Remember who Jacob is in the story, right? Jacob being the son of Isaac, which uh, Abraham's grandson. So this is why Jacob's well is in the territory of the Samaritans, because the Samaritans were just as much Hebrews as the other side of the family, but because of this family rift, they separated themselves. Okay, everybody good on that part? Because it's important that you understand that for the rest of the story. But everybody good on that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is why he had to go to Samaria, because within Samaria were tribes of lost sheep that just had went off in their own ways. So him fulfilling his mission that I've only been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, is why he had to go to Samaria. So in verse 5, it says, Then come a woman, I'm sorry, Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
So here's the part where I'm talking about this ties into the fact that these people that we call Samaritans are part of the family. But what you'll notice in the New Testament, if you pay attention, is the racism that's geared towards the Samaritan. This is why the woman asked Jesus, how is it that you being a Jew? Now, that word Jew has been mistranslated, and the actual word should be a Judean. Because remember, we read he left Judea, and he went to Samaria. If you jump back up to verse uh, verse 3, he left Judea, and he went to Samaria. Now, remind you again that when we talk about Judea, Judea is not just the area, but it's basically describing where we get the word Jews from. Because Judea comes from Judah, Judah comes from where we get Judaism, or Judaism is where we get the word Jew. So basically, what our common understanding is that we don't understand is when you deal with Judea or Judaism or Jews, it is collectively calling everybody one the same thing, but in reality, they're not all the same thing. Okay, so he left Judea goes to Samaria, and this is why she asked him, how are you a Judean Jew, or just a Judean, but you are trying to talk to me who's a Samaritan? So that shows you how deep the racism was and how deep the the animosity was between these two groups, that apparently she seems to be shocked that he, being a Judean, would even conversate with her. Okay? So then in verse... Um, six, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. In other words, uh, give me a drink. Uh, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria how, unto him, how is it that you being a Judean? Now, I'm just saying Judean instead of Jew to make the story make sense. Because you got to remember, she's a Jew, too. If we want to use the word Jew, she's a Jew. She's part of the family. Just She's part of the black sheep part of the family. So, you being a Judean, ask, drink of me, which is a woman of Samaria. For the Jews or the Judeans have no dealings with the Samaritans. Question, how are we all part of the same family, but we don't deal with each other? Is it possible? <laughs> what did yeah. you say, Mo? Yeah. We got different daddies. <laughs> okay, so Sister j says we got different daddies. Sister Samaya, you just said, yeah, yeah. Now, now, check it out. If you think about it, even in normal everyday families today, whether different mm-hmm. daddy, same daddy, whatever, there's always some family rift where something happens, and then these two don't talk. They grow up and have kids, and they teach their kids not to talk to those kids, and then those kids grow up and teach their kids that, yeah, your cousin over there, we don't deal with them. So then you got cousins just hating cousins. And then the later generations don't even know why we hate each other. It's just we just don't get along. 
Has anyone right. ever had a family like this? <laughs> now, now, personal story, personal story. Just within the last, how many years I have been gone, Mom? About three years now? It ain't been three years. Just rolling up on It ain't been three, two years? Okay. So, so, so my great aunt recently died about two, going up, coming up on two years ago. And, um, after her death, well, it was during the time of her death, and then proceeding on to the actual death and moving till today, that I figured out, like, we had a whole family rival going on. Like, the younger generation, we never knew about this rival. We just always found it odd that cousins just didn't get along with cousins of the older generation. So me and the younger generations were, you know, discussing it, and we're trying to figure it out. So I'm like, I I know who will know the answer. Like, I'll call mom. <laughs> Mama tell me what's up. <laughs> so I called mom, and I told mom, like, hey, what's going on? Mom's answer to me was, babe, I don't know. She said, you know, when, we, when me and your cousins were younger, Blase, 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 and ever since then, it's just been that. So looking at it further, I backtracked further that the animosity actually had to do with two sisters. I don't know what the animosity was. We we speculate, but we don't know for sure. But then those sisters had kids, and then the one sister's kids was taught animosity towards the other sister's kids. So say how am I about telling the story right? Or is it leaving the damn? Uh, yeah, you about you about it right. You about on track. One. Now the cousins, the cousins would be, so direct cousins, but growing up, they don't get along to the point that now the cousins mistreat the younger generations of cousins that belong to this side of the family. And it was just so confusing, like, well, what did I do? I had nothing to do with this. So it is very possible to have a family that has a huge family rift. The younger generations are clueless as to why we all don't like each other, but somebody in the upper chains of the family know clearly what happened back in 1934 that we still mad about today. <laughs> Um, tribal, if, if you could even bring it down to tribal rivalries, there are tribes that have been at war with each other for centuries. They live right across the street from each other, but Billy Bob's tribe don't like Jimmy's tribe, but they're one family. And if you backtrack, it has something to do that something took place in the 17th century, and Y'all get my point. I'm being funny, but you get my point. It is very possible that a family rift can last for years until one person on both sides of the family finally make up their minds and say, you know what, this is crazy. What are we fighting for? So that's what's kind of going on with the Samaritans and the Judeans. One family, but there seems to be a rift. Now, the rift goes back to, if you remember... Um, uh, when we looked at, um, uh, the kingdom of Israel, and we saw how Israel was unified under David, 
David died and passed leadership on over to Solomon. Now, according to our Bible, here's where the rift takes place. Because according to the Bible story, there's another son that doesn't like the fact that Solomon is going to be made king. So he goes off and he starts his own kingdom and appoints himself as king. So then the prophet comes and basically alphas him and says, this is, this is not the way we operate. You cannot appoint yourself to be king. You cannot anoint yourself to be on the throne. Only the man of God can do this. So you speed up and we get to the lesson to remind you who I'm talking about. I told you about the man who instituted what we call today the festival of Halloween or mid-autumn festival. That fourth celebration that's added, but perverted in such a way that it turned into what it turned into, Jeroboam. And if you remember in the story, which we're getting ready to touch on in just a second, Jeroboam in the story is terrified because the people are getting ready to head back to Jerusalem for a celebration. The particular celebration that the creator had laid out. But it, he decides to create a alternative festival, and he coerced the people not to go to Jerusalem, but to stay behind with him and worship the bull, and then starts the split. So this is the rival of how it starts. So let's go back to First uh, Kings 19. First Kings 19, and we'll come back to the woman in just a moment. So in First Kings 19, we are going to start at verse 23. I think it's First Kings. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, 16. Go to, go to, go to First Kings 16. Let's try 16. Cause 19 don't have the verses that I need. <laughs> Let's see. Yes, 16. 16, and then we're going to start at verse uh, 23. So in verse 23 of 1 Kings 16, it says, In the thirty and first year of Asa, king of Judah, began Umri to reign over Israel. So at this point, understand, going into this story, we're already past the original split. So you have the southern kingdom and you have the northern kingdom. Both have their own kings because both sides of the family want nothing to do with each other. One side of the family, though, originally at the split, stayed to the path to the religion of Abraham, where Judah and the other side of the family went off deep end with Baal worship. But eventually, because of the association of those of the good side of the family kept mingling with women of the bad side of the family, Future generations were created that participated on the negative side of the family. So eventually, before the story is all done and over with, both sides of the family have gone off the deep end. Makes sense what I just said. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so uh, Umri to reign over Israel, 12 years, six years reigned he in uh, Terza. Verse 24, and he brought the hill Samaria of Shemer for two talents of silver and built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill Samaria. But Umri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. So if he did worse than the kings before him, this was a pretty bad dude. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Now the rest of the acts of Umri, which he did, and his might that he showed, are not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. Are they not written in the book of the kings of Israel? Verse 28. So Umri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his place. So we, I don't need to go into the story of Ahab, right? We all remember the story of Ahab and Jezebel and the nonsense that they did, right? What I brought right. this up for is to show you that it is Ahab's dad who purchases the land and then names it Samaria. And it's through Jeroboam who initiates the bell worship to happen at the hill that's now legally purchased and now part of this kingdom. So this is the history of how Samaria comes about. Um, jump down to verse uh, 30. Go down to verse, we'll just start at verse 30. So in verse 30 it says, And Ahab, the son of Umri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of uh, Ethbal, king of the Zidians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Now go back to John 4. So now that we have Samaria on the table of what is known for, now you understand what I mean, that this was part of the family. Only difference is that later generations participated in what Judah did. And if you remember, there's a scripture, and we might get to it today, where God says, um, have you seen what Israel done? She played the she played a harlot and she cheated on me and I took her back and then she turned around and cheated on me again so therefore I'm gonna give her a bill of divorce but then God turned around and He says and then her treacherous sister sat there and watched and then after even seeing what I did to her turned around and did the same thing so now since both of you want to turn your backs on me. This is how we're going to roll with this. And this is why that scripture is brought up because, again, when the split happened, one side went rogue, one side remained loyal to Allah. But as time went on, because they kept mingling with those people, their ways and customs spilled over into the good people, 
and then the good people became corrupt, and as time went on, the nation became corrupt on both sides. What's the point of this that we can apply? And when I say this, I'm not saying be cultish and weird and stay away from people. But at the same time, you must be very cautious. We must be very cautious of who we let in our circles. Because if you let the wrong person in, their ways, their energies can influence you to either cause you to go off the deep end. Um, let, me, let me say it another way where it doesn't sound so negative. If I'm a happy person with positive energy, and Sister Samaya, just using her for it as an example, is always a, a nasty Nancy, you know, just, <laughs> just always negative about everything. Her energy, just being around me, will bring me down to a negative viewpoint. And it doesn't necessarily have to be she's purposely trying to bring me down. Just her negative energy will drain my positive energy and leave me with nothing but negative energy. So now all of a sudden I'm depressed when I'm not a depressed person. Now all of a sudden I'm tired. I don't know how I'm so tired. My energy feels so depleted. And, again, when you're dealing with just negativity or uh, some of us have a habit because we have a heart for people that we let ourselves be people's garbage can. And we let them dump all their nonsense and junk into us because we think we're helping a person. But if you think about it, to let somebody dump all their negativity into your spirit, spiritual energy, that's not going to change their ways, but get it off of them for a few weeks, and all they're going to do is go back and do it again and build it right back up again. What's the point of keep being somebody's garbage can for their negativity if they don't want to change? Mm -hmm. Again, I know it sounds harsh, and I'm not saying cut people off, but sometimes you have to do what's best for you and your protection of your spirituality. Understand, Satan and his devils don't care about the rules. They don't care if they have to use your mama, your children, your, the dog, the cat. They don't care. As long as they can get your energy stagnated so they can feed off of you and bring you down to nothing, that's the goal. So sometimes you have to go through extra measures to, 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 to walk this out. This is where the word talk will come in that. It is not just walking in fear and a lie. It is walking with a strategy. It is knowing that which is harmful to me versus that which is not harmful to me. It is very much being aware, not aimlessly just walking, but walking and aware of my surroundings. Let me say it a different way. We must be spiritually aware if we're going to walk in the spirit. Amen. So that means if I'm walking in the spirit and I walk into a room and I feel negative energy coming from and Beth, I'm using you as, a, as an example. Sister Beth has some negative energy. So if I'm not directly commanded by Allah to go over there and deal with that, I'm not going to play with that woman's that negative energy because I risk now the chance of her negative energy becoming my negative energy, and I don't want to be negative. Amen. So the other thing about negative energy that you have to understand and why it's so important to protect yourself, and again, when I say protect yourself, I don't mean be mean and rude to people. Leave me alone, Sister Laura. I want to hear what you got to say today. I'm trying to be in a happy place. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, so so what you need to understand is our emotions are controlled by thoughts. And the gym know this. This is how they know in order to bring you down, it has to start in your thought process first. Outside of your thoughts, you are you you cool. You're a happy person for the most part. You're an energetic person for the most part. You you one that loves to stay close to God in your heart and your mind. So the only way Satan can throw you off balance is to jolt your thoughts. So a, a thought such as, you know, they don't like you. Did you hear the way she talked to you? You gonna let her talk to you like that? You 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 act like a good punk right now that you didn't let her come off of you like that and you didn't say that. And so the moment you start having these thoughts, that type of thought generates a negative energy. Thank and then you, if you're like me, if you're like me that somebody's offended you and there's a part of you that's trying to hold back to not really get back with them the way you want to, to prove your point, this yeah. thought will play in your head over and over and over and over. Even when you go home, you'll be eating dinner, and all of a sudden that person's words will come back to your mind again. And it's like, yeah, tomorrow, I, if she even look at me, I'm just going I'm, I'm, I'm to say, y'all get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And what we don't realize, because we're not being spiritually aware, is that that moment you are under a spiritual attack. The target is you. The bait is the other human being that probably don't even know that they even said what they said to you, how they said it to you. Because at the moment they said it, they were under possession. And so this is what I mean do. by, say it again. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they do. They, yeah. yeah, but at the end of the day, it comes down to my spiritual energy. Is it worth me depleting my spiritual energy to even engage in this nonsense? Amen. Um, Sister Jehad, I'm pretty sure Sister Jehad won't mind this, uh, but I was talking to Sister Jehad last week sometime, and she asked me, she said, do you remember, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but Mama asked me, she said, do you remember the, the crazy chick that I used to work with? She didn't say those exact words. I'm just I'm paraphrasing. Mom used to work with a lady that was kind of different. And, you know, I'm like, yeah. So I can't remember how many years have gone by since this lady's not been there. But almost, mom, 20, she, 20, almost 20. Almost 20. Huh? Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. So mom said she minded her own business. And randomly after 20 years, this lady hits mom up on Facebook. And if I remember, Sister J. Hyde, you tell it the quick version of what, what because I can't remember exactly what triggered her in the first place. Something about somebody left a note in the back for her or something. Some some years ago, somebody left, somebody wrote some some nasty stuff about this person, about this girl on on a calendar in the back. I didn't even work in, in, I didn't even I worked second shift, and she worked first shift. So we didn't even really have a, a real uh, friendship or uh, association, you know. I'd see her in passing. Um, but somebody left some wrote some 
some uh, nasty things about her on on the calendar in in the back in our QC area, and she saw it and uh, tried to kill herself. That that year we had three people attempt suicide uh, in the department. One succeeded. Um, so you know you're working with some bad devils. <laughs> which let me know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, she quit. She quit, retired or whatever she did after that. And like I said, it's been almost 20 years. And um, the text said, the text said some, some crazy stuff. And, and to let you know she, she was doing it uh, spitefully, regardless if she realized it or not, she did it some kind of way on Messenger. You can make your message disappear after the person reads it. But um, she said she was thinking long and hard about when she was having issues with uh, her medication being adjusted because she bipolar and this, that, and the other, and da 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 da, and, and the stuff that happened. And she said, and God told me that you was the one that that, that wrote wrote that stuff on the calendar. I almost threw my phone. <laughs> uh, we don't even text each other. We don't text each other. We don't keep it. She's just on my, She on, we friends on Facebook. You know how the uh, x-ray text, other x-ray texts, we friend each other because we x-ray text. <laughs> that kind of thing. I'm like, right. and it's, Happened the same day that uh, 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 a co-worker had, I was under attack, y'all. I was under attack. Another co-worker that day had uh, tried to, uh, another co-worker that day did some stuff to me. I just put it, put it like that. Well, yeah. I was under attack that day real hard. <laughs> so... So and I, and I brought the story up to say how subtle the devils work. So twenty years later, a person randomly pops up and wants to argue with you. You got a split second decision to make. You either give your energy into something foolish like that, or you become spiritually aware of your surroundings—not the physical surroundings, but spiritual surroundings—as to what's really going on behind the scenes with this. Not every argument is worth the argument because sometimes you're not arguing with a person. You are arguing with a person who is under the influence of possession at the moment because the gen has an agenda to find a loophole in your energy so it can bring you down. So sometimes we got to get past our egos that want to prove the point. I want this person to know how I feel. Sometimes it's just best to let the Lord fight your battles. Hold your peace and let God fight the battle and just yeah. back down. And keep yourself in peace. He who keeps his mind on the Lord it is that person that God keeps in, in peace. It's so let hard. your mind get distracted. Peace goes out the door. I know it's hard. That's why Satan comes especially, to do it. Especially when you want, like you said, when you want to get back with them. When yeah. you want to put them in their place. How dare yeah. you? How dare you? You when you know you ain't did a you ain't did a thing to nobody. You mind your I mind my business. 
and stay out of everybody else's business. <laughs> yeah. Right. You, you want I got you, you want real hard. I will I will tell you about yourself. That's what be going through your head. And then like you said, oh. it's play over and over and over. Yeah. That that is that is the trick of the enemy to get you distracted. So if we go back to first Kings sixteen, we stopped at thirty two where he reared up altars for Baal. So in verse thirty three and Ahab made a grove. Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than any of all the kings of Israel that were before him. So now, not only does Ahab make altars to Baal, but then he goes as far as making a grove. Now, I won't teach on groves t- today, but basically a grove is uh, uh, what you understand today as an obelisk or a pole or something like that. So, again, I won't waste time trying to teach exactly what a grove is. Just know that it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good. Okay, so let's go back to John, the fourth chapter. So, again, Jesus is not talking to just some random strange lady. Jesus is talking to one of his family members, one of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, so uh, let's jump down to verse 10 of John 4. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that said, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given you living water. Now, we understand from Jesus' teaching what this living water is that he's making reference to. It is that of the force of Ruach, Chi, Prana, whatever you want to call it, that which he came to release or show mankind that we had access to. Okay, so remember, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spake of the Spirit. Not spirit as a person, but rather spirit as a force. I'm going to throw this in here, too. When you become spiritually aware, in other words, you purposely detach from the external world and you connect to the internal world of what's going on inside you, you can actually feel the force. And when you get in tune with the force, you can feel your levels. You can feel when it's high. You can feel when it's lower, you need a refill. You can feel when something's off. You can feel when something's wrong, and this is an everyday thing, not just sometimes randomly when it happens. See, normally when it randomly happens, meaning, give you an example, you walk into a room, everything external looks good, but in your gut, something's off. The energy is off in here. Something's wrong. And that's normally randomly that happens, and that's normally when spirit is really trying to get your attention about something. But then there's a level that we can get to where we're spiritually aware, where the spirit does not have to impress these emotions upon us to get our attention because we're very much aware of what's going on. So when you walk into the room, you notice the fluctuation of energy right away. So you stop. And you begin to analyze the room. You begin to analyze every person in the room. You begin to analyze every nook and cranny of that room because there's something that's off. 
And I'm not getting ready to go on a witch hunt. We're going to get right to the root of what's causing this imbalance. Now, once I figure out it's that person over there, the next step i got to figure out is, is it them or are they possessed? Meaning this, there are times where a human being could just have a bad day. And because of your bad day, your emotions and your vibration are off. Therefore, your bad day now becomes everybody else's bad day. It has nothing to do with a devil. It's just a person who does not know how to control their behavior when they're mad about something. But then there are other times where it is possession, where a person has been temporarily taken over by external force with the agenda to break you. And you've got to be able to be aware to determine which is which so that you can pick your battles. So, like I always tell people, especially when we do demonology, God gave me power over spirits. I'm, I don't have no problem with that. You possess, that's easy to deal with. What I didn't get power over was crazy people. So if you crazy and it's not a spirit, I'm not fooling with that. God didn't tell me to do it. <laughs> God didn't tell me to do it. I'm not about to put myself in a position to do it, and that's how that's how that's gonna go. You crazy? Then we just gonna let you be crazy. Not every cray cray is a demon. Sometimes people just have mental imbalances and they're crazy. Now, when you go and you go to in the name of the law, I command you, and then they punch you in your face, and then you sit there hold your face trying to understand why it didn't work. I sought refuge in Allah, and I still got hit in my face. How'd that work? Because you weren't dealing with a demon. You was dealing with a crazy person. So you get my point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> have I ever seen anything like what I'm describing? I have. I have. I have. I, I, and I always tell people, stop, stop putting stuff that you want to do on God and then making it seem like God told you to do it because then when the stuff backfires, then you're sitting there looking crazy. Prime example. Some of y'all remember, some of y'all won't. We had a member once, and across the street from the church was a was a, a, a guy who had a pit bull. And this he was a nice pit bull, but he was one of those pit bulls that you you had to you had to let him get to know you first, and then he was you know trust you and befriend you. Outside of that, he was—he seemed to be very vicious. So anyway, church was over one day, and we were all outside talking, and one of the young ladies said, oh, I just feel, I feel led by the Spirit to go across the street and just witness the, witness the minister to him. Oh, okay. Did God really tell you to do that? And I said, well, the dog, I'm going in the power of Jesus, and the dog will not touch me. I, I tried. I tried to talk this person down. I did. I tried. I tried to talk him down. So she took off across the street. I went in for a minute. Next thing I know, I came back out. Everybody was running in, talking about ice and we need alcohol. What happened? The dog bit her. <laughs> and again, not laughing at this person, but it goes. What I'm saying is, you know, when we say God told us to do something, then, I, like I tell people, I, it's not for me to tell you that you didn't hear from God or not. 
but I will sit back and watch the fruit of it. And if the fruit don't bear that this is what God said, then that's just what it's going to be. God didn't tell you that. That may have been something you thought God told you. When God speaks, the Bible says when the Spirit speaks, he speaks very clearly. Yeah. And when God speaks, the thing comes to pass. So, again, I don't tell people I don't believe God told you that. It's amen. Amen. Especially if God, if it's not bearing witness with my spirit, I'm not just going to instantly tell you that's not from God. I'm going to sit back and get my popcorn and my Coke and just watch the show. And we'll see how this pans out. But how do we get to the point where we know that we know that we know that God told us he must stay in the place of spiritually aware? What stops us from being spiritually aware is being so uh, attracted to the external world. There's a song that I recently just added to my playlist, and it's a little, little, little hillbilly song. But the words say, got a lot of things to do right now, got a lot of things to do. No, I'm sorry, not right now. I got a lot of things to do in this world. Got a lot of things to do in this world. I lost myself because I got a lot of things to do in this world. I've lost myself now because I got a lot of things to do in this world. And every time I hear this song, the first time I heard it, I just liked it because the hillbilly bluegrass sound. But the more I listen to the words, I'm like, yes, that is very witness with my spirit. You get so lost in the things you got to do, life, bills, kids. You all get my point that mm-hmm. we forget we forget that we are not just physical beings. We are spiritual beings. And if I don't take time to nurture the spiritual part of me and I'm only nurturing the physical part of me, I lose focus on what and who I really am. And then I create an identity that's false. Meaning that I'm more attached to the physical than I am to the spiritual, and the physical is not who I am. This is just a means to get me around. But I can't lose touch with who I really am, because if you lose touch with who you really are, then the influences of those around you begin to make you into something that you're not. And if you're not aware of what's going on, you will find yourself, okay, give you prime example. Three years ago, I don't even know it's been three, maybe two years ago, we were on call one day. And I told y'all that my kids is running around talking about, bruh, bruh. Some of y'all might remember this, some of y'all might. And I kept talking about how all these, these young people today are running around talking about, bruh. And I said, give it a year. And all of us across the nation are going to be running around talking about, bruh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's happened. I was at the grocery store just the other day, and I, I, I had to hold my laugh back in line. But when I got back in my car, I died laughing. There was an old elderly lady, and as she was ringing out, I guess from what I could observe, the lady told her the price was one thing versus what she saw in the back. And this lady had to be about late 60s, 70s. And the lady said what she said. The lady just looked at her. She was like, bruh. Hey, hey, I couldn't help it. <laughs> I couldn't help it. We talked about a 77 year old lady talking about, bruh. So you get my point. Even the older people have been affected by this influence of bruh. Not saying to say bruh is wrong, but if you get what I'm saying, the influence that. It started with a group of people, 
then it spread out to more people, and now it's just a common phrase. Bruh. <laughs> I have a comment okay. about that. Go ahead, Sister Sabaya. This is not the first time bruh came around. Isn't that right, Sister Lord? That's right. Some of us are older. Elaborate. Huh? Elaborate. I said elaborate on this one. <laughs> Some of us are old enough to remember that bruh's been around before. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So basically history is repeating itself again. That's, That's it. right. Wow. So, Bray, no new words. No. <laughs> nope. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything new under the sun? <laughs> no, no, no. No. Okay. So, so back to job four. Verse 11. In verse 11, it says, And the woman said unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then have you this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall never shall I'm sorry, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. Again, making reference to that life that is in us called Ruach. And again, as I keep telling you, you can stir it up. You can calm it down. You can uh, uh, conceal it. You can... You can turn the spout on all the way to full. You can do whatever you want with it. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Make yeah, the to walk and the blind to see. Open the prison head. doors and make the captives free. I've got a river of life that flows out of me. Spring up, oh well, into yeah. my soul. Spring up a well and make me whole. I mean, we keep going on with this. But there's there's something in us that when we don't feel like we've got life, we can push the button and let the, 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 the waters of life in us flow. I don't have to I don't have to look for something on the outside to fulfill me on the inside. When everything that I need is already on the inside. It's just a matter of rearranging my mind. Amen. Am I going to focus on what's external or am I going to focus on what's internal? Okay, so verse 15 says, And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I'm not thirst no more, neither come to draw here. Now, here's where the conversation gets obscured. And if you don't understand why Jesus asked this question, you make up these doctrines about things that, don't, that really don't apply to the story. But anyway, Jesus said unto her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, 
and he whom you have, I'm sorry, and he whom you now have is not thy husband, in that saith thou truly. So the question I want to propose real quick is who is the sixth man? So, so if we look at it at the surface, it would appear that this woman has been passed through the hands of six men. Now, where are you getting six from? And it's five because Jesus said the man that you with, the one that you with now is not even your husband. So that would make six men, yes? Right. Yeah. Okay. So we even look at it this way, that this woman, this one woman has been passed through five husbands. Doesn't tell us if they died. Doesn't tell us if they divorced. It just says she had five husbands, and now the man that she's shacking up with now is not even her husband. Now, a couple things to look at. At any given time, do you remember Jesus ever embarrassing anybody about their sins? Never. No. Never. So if we look at it that way that Jesus is being a prophet and calling her out, about her adultery, does that fit the character of Jesus that we've read about in the rest of the Gospels? No. Not at all. Not at all. So we now can't take Jesus out of character and say, oh, he's being a prophet. And believe it or not, there are people in the church today who feel that that's what it means to be a prophet, means to expose people in their sins. So I've been to churches where somebody that's supposed to be the prophet stands up and says, yes, you lady, stand. You, yeah, God says you're a fornicator. You had sex just last night with a man. And then, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's not being a conducive prophet here. We, we don't, we're not supposed to expose and hurt people. The only time God tells us to expose things is when the person who's doing the act is maliciously doing it to hurt the body. On that note, that yes, we are given the command as prophets to expose that, tear that down. And again, it's not even to hurt the person, it's to expose to the body the agenda that's going on and hope that the person would repent for what they've done and change and amend their ways. So anyhow, it would be hard now to bring Jesus out of character who has always, throughout the Gospels, whenever he felt something was wrong with somebody, either A, talked to the person in private, as Jesus is seen doing in the Gospels, B, uh, when he would address certain things, he would address it in such a manner that it was very loving, to the point, beloved, for instance, when they brought the naked woman to him, caught in the act of adultery, and they told Jesus this woman was caught in the very act According to the law, she should die. What do you say? And Jesus knelt down and began to draw on the dirt. Then he stood back up and he said, okay, whoever has no sin, go ahead throw the first stone. And you know the story. Each one began to drop their stone, and they walked away. Jesus knelt back down and started drawing in the dirt again. And then when he looked up, and saw that everybody was gone except this embarrassed woman, he went over to her. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? They left, Lord. 
neither do I accuse you either. Get up. Go your way. Don't sin no more. I mean, how much more beautiful can it get than that? I just got caught in adultery, and the one that does, the, the prophet could have said, yep, kill her. Kill her and kill her. But instead, Jesus waited till everybody left, and he asked her, where are those that accuse you? They all left. I don't accuse you either. Go your way and don't sin no more. And then he lets the woman go. He doesn't he doesn't pass her about how wrong she is. He doesn't beat her down about how how she should know better than be out sleeping around and she's married. No. He showed her love, forgiveness, mercy, but at the same time addressed the issue but encouraged her to clean herself up and don't do this no more. Do you see the difference of conviction versus condemnation? Mm-hmm. So I have a question. Go for it. So um, in this case, though, he did this in private, right? Which or which story are you talking about? Are you talking about the woman at the well, or are we talking about yes. the one I'm that talk- I just brought up caught in adultery? I'm talking about the story we're in now, the woman at the well. Yes, because at well, this point, it's just him or her talking. Right. So, and, and with that being said, that was actually part of her, of her testimony, that he told me all about myself, wasn't it? Right, right. Right, come see the come see the prophet. She goes um, back to that. I think he's I think think he's the Messiah, but come see a man who told me everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you're right, Sister Samaya. Which also, on some level, helped her be, believe in him. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. But again, notice the tone that Jesus is taking with this. Go tell your husband to come in. Oh, I'm not married. I don't have no husband. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right about that, because you don't have five husbands. And the man that you live with right now, he's not even your husband. So let's let's deal with that. But he, but notice again, he's not doing it in the sense of you old nasty old whore, you. You done been with five men. You used and wore out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you get my point, though. If we look at it as Jesus is confronting her about all these men she's been with, then the next part of the story makes no sense because if you read on, which we will in a minute, but I'll go ahead and just just quote it. After Jesus says this, she says, I perceive you're a prophet. Yep. So get get this. If I'm a prophet... Sister Samaya says you the last one to talk about use you. I'm I'm the prophet. Sister Samaya is a sister, and I approach Sister Samaya and I tell Sister Samaya, "Hey, I just want you to know. I know you cheating on Ron. I don't know who Ron is, y'all. I'm just making up names, okay? <laughs> I know you cheating on Ron. Now." Sister Samaya, in all actuality, if I'm a true prophet and you know I'm a true prophet and what I just said hit home, is your next response to me going to be, oh, you must be a prophet? No. I just call her mail out that more than anything, her mind is going to be more worried about Ron finding out that somebody knows about this affair. Mo 
be quiet and secret, right? Nobody wants it. Nope, nobody wants it out in the open. So, 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 so again, Jesus does not address the situation in a harsh manner, but he does address the situation. And again, if you look at it as physical husbands, now the next part doesn't make sense because right after she begins to talk to him about him being a prophet, she then brings up the subject of worship. So what does worship and an affair got to do with each other? Somebody please help me with that one. And if you don't understand what I mean, let's, let's look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saith thou true. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Pause. As a prophet, if I just tried to confront you about your affair and you randomly start bringing up worship service, how do the two match? So, Jehad, you're thinking on this. How, how do the two, the, two, the two subjects match? I, I, can't, I can't think in my mind how that, would, how that would lead. One thing would lead to the other. It doesn't make sense. Okay. Sister Samaya, your thoughts on that? My thoughts only. <laughs> my thoughts only. I I keep hearing, uh, uh, like you would say, devil's advocate. <laughs> uh, obviously, obviously, in the way that you're presenting this, um, it doesn't match, and there's something wrong with this picture. And I know that we've been here before, but at, at the same time, though. Uh, with all that he said, who else comes to you and tells you about your past and your present besides the prophet? The devil. The devil. Would she know to say, uh, is Satan get away from me? Or just, you're the devil? Right. Which, as you see, she never seems to bring up. She instantly equates his question with worship. For whatever reason, in this woman's mind, his statement about five husbands and the one that she's with now is not even her husband seems to equate worship in her mind. So, like Sister J. Hot, the Bible said thus far, it, it, it this don't make sense. Sister Beth. In your mind, see this. What? How do? Uh, how does an affair and worship match in one conversation? Polytheism. Okay. 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 And if it's Felicia, do you want to say anything on this? How do the two match? Affair and worship. Well, the only thing that. Great point. First, let me say that because who are we worshiping? She talking about worshiping Jesus. Well, no, not talking about worshiping Jesus because if you read on further, the conversation between her and Jesus about worship, that you you start to see that Jesus has to clear up something in her mind that she thinks is right, but Jesus has to point out that hey, what this is not correct. 
point is, is we started out talking about six men, five of which you've been married to, one of which you currently live with, and he ain't your husband. How does that now turn into worship? I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna try that at church one day. I'm gonna try that at church one day. Try that. Possible, you know. She's under misguidance as far as what she thinks is, like you just said, what she thinks is right versus what is wrong because of her upbringing. Okay, okay. I have no comment once you're done. Devil's ass. No, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Thinking that maybe. Oh, you're talking about Sister Felicia. Okay, I'm curious. I wouldn't say that. Go ahead, Sister Felicia. Oh, okay. I was just going to say that maybe it's just because of her upbringing and she's been taught to worship worship, and then do these things that are of naughtiness that might be a form of your, you know, she who knows what they were teaching her as far as what her worship is concerned, I was trying to say. Okay. I got you. Sister Samaya, go ahead before I delve into this. <laughs> so, um, sometimes to get somebody's attention, you got to slap them. Right on. <laughs> right on. Look, and you know I've been slapped before. By right on, right on. Right on, right on, right on. And that, that slap took me to a whole nother level. But... <laughs> Clarification. I want to make sure I heard her. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, Sister Beth. I mean, I mean, spiritually slapped. I don't mean physically slapped. I mean spiritually slapped. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Wait a minute, Beth was like, hold on, wait a minute. What kind of church is this? I let me rethink this, guys. He let he let Providence come and slap. Go, when you're reading something that don't make sense, go to the people 
who wrote this book called the Bible and see what they have to say about it, and you'll find the answers you're looking for. So the Jews who were entrusted with the scriptures, who Allah tells us over and over, not just in the Quran, but in the Bible, they rewrote the story, man. They changed things. They they misplaced words. They did this. They purposely hid things. So sometimes you got to go to Jewish commentaries to get an interpretation. And you find out things like, wow, they didn't teach me that in Sunday school. Well, that's, that's what it what it means. Okay, so get down to these husbands. Go back to second uh, – no, not second. Go to Jeremiah 3 first. We've got a couple of scriptures to tie – tie this together. So in Jeremiah 3, and we'll start at verse 1. So Jeremiah 3, verse 1 says, they say, if a man put away his wife, and she go from him and become another man's, she shall return, shall, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? So in other words, if, a, if what it's saying, if a man and a woman go their separate ways and she marries another man, can the first man that married her go back to her and remarry her again? Because is she not now polluted? Because she's been what? With another man. And it says, um, shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Lift up your eyes unto the high places and see where you have not been uh, uh, li- uh, lying with. Other words, um, uh, 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 look around. Tell me who, who. Tell me who you haven't slept with. That's pretty bad. What God has addressed it this way, like Godly. How many? How many? How many partners do you have? So he says, verse three. Therefore, the showers have been withholding from you. Now, before I read this, just one through three. Can you see right off the rip that what we're getting ready to deal with is Israel's um um whoredoms. Right. Now, Sister Jay Hot, when you hear the word whoredoms, what comes to your thinking? Uh, sleeping sleeping with, with sleeping with somebody else besides the person that you with. Okay. So so Sister Samaya, do you have the same viewpoint of what Sister Jay Hot just said of whoredom? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, Sister Beth, do you agree with the definition that we've described thus far as whoredoms? Completely, yeah. Okay, Sister Felicia, do you agree with what we've described as whoredoms, or you want to add to it? I want to add to it. Um. <laughs> okay. Well, I just say that because that that's essentially, yes, I do agree, but I also think that a person who just 
flops around day after day with a different person, regardless if it's, you know, if they're in a relationship with someone else or not, or they could just be two single people, but you just keep meeting up with different people every single day. I also consider that whoredom. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, um, go ahead, Sister Samaya. So, um, I think there's there's something that's being said uh, commonly amongst all of us, and uh, part of that goes back to relationship, a violation of relationship. Yeah. No, I like because that. Because you have like outside relationships from the one that you are uh, supposed to be dedicated to. Mhm. Yeah. And I agree with that. Even if you haven't met or haven't become uh, connected with who you're supposed to be with, and this is going on beforehand, I agree. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, one more question about whoredom. When God makes reference to whoredom, in your mind, what is he talking about? How do I start with you? Is he talking physical? Or is he talking spiritual in your thinking? He's he's talking spiritual. They uh they uh, have um basically left him for another god, little G, to worship. They they they're with they're com- conversing with <clears throat> conversing with another other than him and he straight out tells them that he's a jealous, jealous God, and he is the one, the only one, the one and only. I can't, I can't deal with. We ain't got no open relationship now. We, we don't just get a chance to be with who we want to be with and then come back together. That, that ain't the way it go, the way it works. Okay, okay, Sister Beth, you agree with that, or you want to add to it? Um, I think it would, I think that would also apply to not just worship of other gods, little g, but like taking on the practices of other gods, like other groups that worship other gods. Okay. Like the traditions and the practices like, like Christmas or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Okay, okay. Sister uh, Felicia, you agree with that? Yes, I agree with what Sister J. Howe was saying that um, he's got us speaking spiritually toward him because. Okay, okay. And then Sister uh, uh, Samaya, you agreed that we're talking spiritual, not physical. Uh, yes. But uh, where the mind goes, the body will follow. <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> okay. So, my, I, I have a comment though. My mind goes to Go the idea, yes, yes, spiritually. Um, but uh, my mind goes to you know, like scripture, like you know, I should have no other God, be, you know, uh, before me. Um, uh, you should love thy God with all their all your heart, 
um, I am God, I am, and, and I am one. So anytime you uh, put anything before God or spend more time with, whether it be your mind, your heart, your body, then you are creating a God and possibly putting that God before the God. So, uh, yes, to the answer is spiritual, but I also think it comes in a number of forms. Okay. Manifest. I got you. Mm -hmm. I got you. Okay. All right. So let's, let's dig this deeper. So in verse 3 of Jeremiah 3, God says, Therefore, showers have been withholding, and there has been no latter rain, and thou hast a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, my father, thou art the guide of my youth. Will he reserve his anger forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, thou hast spoken and done evil things as thou couldest. And the Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there has played the harlot, and said after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she, but she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw with for all causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away given her a bill of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. So does this sound like language of relationship? Husband, wife, somebody's cheated, and somebody said, look, I done gave you one too many chances. Every time I take you back, you turn around and go do worse. Then you even went and took your sister, and then y'all did it together. So I'm done. Here's your divorce. Y'all go do what y'all do. I'm going to find me somebody that, uh, uh, um, y'all get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go over to Hosea. Go over to Hosea, chapter 2. Hosea comes right after Daniel. So in Hosea, chapter 2. And we'll start at verse 1. It says, Say ye unto your brethren, Amy, and your sisters, Ruma, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredom out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born, and make her as a wilderness, and set her like the dry land, and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. For their mother has played the harlot. She that conceived them has done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, 
that give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy ways with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find uh, a path. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then it was better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn, wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Stop there. Sister Jehad, if you had to put this in your own words, what God just said to the prophet, what did he say? He 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 about done with them with them folks that's uh, cheating on him and worshiping okay. hell. Okay. Now, in reading this, did you hear how God describes the reason why they cheated? Yes, because it was taught to them they, that the, the it was passed it was passed on because. Because they started, <clears throat> a group of them started doing it, and then the sister went and did it too. So those people that that were looking up to the sisters, they started doing it. It was passed down, passed down through generations. Okay, okay. This is somebody you said yes, and it came from your soul. What's what's on your mind? <laughs> because God said. I am your source, regardless of who you looking at. You know, you you taking right. all that, you know, thinking they doing this for the, for you and they doing that for you. But when you fail to to understand and realize that I am the source of all mm-hmm. of that. So right, yeah, that that, that hit me uh, in my soul because that that's sad. I mean, because those right. things, if you recall what I was saying about making other things your God, that's exactly what she did. She made her lovers and what they provided for her, her God. And and then want to go back to the real thing. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you know. I got you. Um, so if, if, if I piggyback off what Sister Samaya just said. If you go back and read it a little bit again, what you find that God is saying is the her being referenced here is Israel. Let's make that clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Israel apparently kept going after these other gods because they felt like these other gods was giving them what they wanted. And then when times got hard, then they wanted to break up with these gods and go back to the one true God. And then God says in the end, because the whole time that they was going after that, they didn't realize, as Sister Samaj just said, I've been the source the whole time. You went after everything and everybody else, and you had everything you wanted right here. But you messed that up. You didn't show me what you capable of. So today, you get a bill of divorce. So how do we apply that today? Even though today we're not bound down to statues and doing yama, 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 and things like that, uh, um, uh, we, we're, we're, we're still distracted. 
And these distractions, you can kind of call little gods. For some, it's money. We'll lose our spirituality over some money. For some, it's a man. It's a woman. It's whatever the case is that is a little God in our hearts. And please understand, when I say this, this is not about condemnation. Because we all go through it one way or another. Again, idolatry goes way deeper than bowing down in front of some statue. Idolatry is anything that you can put in your heart in the place that only Allah should have. So if that TV show is distracting you from spiritual practice that you're supposed to be doing, you made TV a God. Because I chose to do that over what God asked me to do. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying watch the TV is wrong. But if it's a spiritual time that Allah has called me to, but I don't want to miss the show, that's why we got DVR now. Hello. Hello. <laughs> but you all get my point. Rather, it's, it's the car, the house, the man. The woman, anything that distracts me from my relationship with God is a no-no. So, for instance, I'm pretty sure all of us on this call have gone through this or experienced it or know someone to have. You could be on 20. You could be on fire for the Lord and single and all that good stuff, undistracted, fasting, prayer, just doing what you know to do. And as soon as this person comes along, we we seem to forget our spirituality because we're so caught up in wanting to know and get to know this person and wanting to be with this person and wanting to be around this person that all of a sudden you start failing spiritually. And when I say failing, I don't mean you're just in outright sin. I'm just saying you're you're fired. That 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 grounded situation you were in where you wasn't going to let nothing shake you from your love from God. You wasn't going to compromise nothing. You, you, you know, you, 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 when you love God that deep, then people come back to you and say things like, Sister Jehad, uh, you'll recognize what I'm saying here. I can't compete with you and God. I, I just can't mm-hmm. compete with God. You, you just love God so much and you won't be in. I, I just don't think we can work together as a couple because I'm not Loving God like that. So that's the tenacity that I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm not saying you can't have a boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, whatever the case is. But if that person cannot love God at the level that you love God, you are setting yourself up for a failure because eventually that person is going to drag you into idolatry. And this is what happened with Israel because they kept mingling with people whose hearts were not set on Allah. Their influences drag them away from Allah into unhealthy practices. And the whole time, now understand this, it wasn't that they said, I don't believe in Allah no more, because if that wouldn't make sense that once the, the, the water ran dry and their so-called new gods wasn't answering prayers or giving them the blessings no more, that they thought to themselves, let's go back to the one true God. So even in the Quran, this is why Allah tells us, say to the disbelievers, say to the pagans, the polytheists, who created the heavens and the earth? And surely they're going to tell you Allah, God. And Allah 
because when they tell you that, ask them that if you know this knowledge, then why do you worship that which can neither benefit nor harm you? Because if Allah created everything, then surely that which you worship is created just like you. So that makes you and your God equal. Make that make sense. How are you and your God equal? Okay? Now, if pagans or polytheists think about it, they leave food for their gods, their offerings, a god that eats just like you do. What, what's any difference between your god and me? Your god eats, I eat. Your god goes to the bathroom, I go to the bathroom. And we keep going down the list of what their gods are capable of doing, which show what humans are capable of doing. What makes these gods any different than humans? But if you have the knowledge, you'll understand that these gods are nothing more than the jinn who are very much like us. This is why they eat. This is why they have sex with women and produce children. This is why they go to the bathroom. This is why you got records of the gods sleeping and, and they get out their bed and all that. Gods that have beds, Sister Tata. God went to bed. Jay, he heard some noise and he woke up and, yeah, this is the story of the gods. Um, so it should become more clear and clearer to you that the husbands being referred to here are these gods, little g's. Everybody, everybody see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so now I want you to jump over to, go back to Second Kings. We're almost finished here. Second Kings, 17. So it is very easy to get distracted, and it's when you get distracted that Satan's able to, to throw throw paws real fast and catch you off guard. This is how he was able to chin check us. This is how we get punched in the nose. This is how this is how it happened because at one given moment we got distracted, and once you get distracted, you're not aware of your spiritual surroundings no more. And when you're not paying attention to your spiritual surroundings, Satan will swing on you. You're not playing with a being that plays by the rules. He don't care about that ain't fair. You wasn't looking, so I slapped you. He don't care about that. That's that's the best time to get slapped when he ain't when you ain't watching. And he's not just gonna slap you, he's gonna double slap you. He's gonna come from the left and then backhand you from the right. And by the time it's done and over with, that's that. And you be sitting there confused, like, what happened? How did he hit me? And it comes back down to don't be distracted. And, again, if we are distracted at this very moment that we're having this class, it's okay. After today, get your focus back. Pick yourself up politely and aggressively. Take the energy back that they have taken from you regenerate yourself, get back on the path, and keep it moving. There's no point of sitting here groping about what could have, should have. I can't change what didn't happen or what did happen. I, I can't sit here and cry about all these things uh, that have nothing to do with nothing and then allow Satan to distract me and get me off the course. Okay? So Second Kings. 17, and we'll start at verse 6. And in verse 6 it says, In the sixth year of Hosha, the king of Assyria, 
I'm sorry, ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria, took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala in, and in harbor by the river of Bazan in the cities of Medes. Medes. For it was, for so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them out of the land of Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh the king, and had fear of the gods. And he walked in the statues of the heathens. I'm sorry, and walked in the statues of the heathens, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel which they made which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things which the Lord I'm sorry, and the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God, and they built them high places in all their cities from the tower of the watchmen to the fence city. So get this. If you pay attention to the story, it starts off with Samaria, and the people are then taken captive because of the idolatry they've already done. You would think by being taken captive, that would bring you to a point of realization like that. I really need to change my ways, right? No. Them being taken captive only emboldened them to do it more. That's how you know when the person's just gone. You, you get what I'm saying? Okay, jump down to verse 20, 22. Jump down to verse 22. So if you read in between, you read about all these gods and goddesses uh, they begin to uh, worship. So actually, I said 22. We'll actually go up to 19 to come down. So in verse 19, it says, And also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hands of spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. For he rent Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drave Israel from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them. So remember, Jeroboam's the one who brings in what we would call today Halloween with his festival of the worship of the bull. And this is the sin that that God's talking about that, that he calls them to do. And apparently even after his demise, they continued to do it. So, uh Verse 23, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he said by all his servants, the prophets, so Israel was carried away out of their own land into Assyria unto this day. And the king of Assyria brought men. Now, this is what I want you to pay very close attention to. The king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and Cusa and Ava. And uh, Hama, and from uh, 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 however you say that the, 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 that word there, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel, 
and they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. So not only were the children of Israel captive and taken to this territory that we call Samaria and was held captive in this land, but the king then brings men. Now, another way, if you read other translations, it says that the king chose wise men and brought them from these areas and brought them to Samaria. The reason why, if you look in the commentary, these wise men work to educate the children of Israel. Now, before I say anything else, how many cities were just named that the king brought wise men from to come educate these these Israelites? Wow. What was your wow, Sister Samaya? What was your wow? Because there's quite a few. I mean, okay. even Babylon would have been enough. <laughs> okay, right. So I'm going to say it again. The king of Assyria brought men from Babylon, number one. Cusa, number two. Ava, number three. Hamath, number four. And then there's one I refuse to say, number five. So five <laughs> cities or five white, five white, five magi that represented five different cities with their religious practices were brought mm. together into one city. And then we're working together to educate the children of Israel and to learn their religious ways of five different ways. Mm. Maybe you'll make it click. <laughs> okay, so jump down to verse 25. So in verse 25, so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them which slew some of them. Wherefore they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry neither one of the priests. I'm sorry, carry neither. Carry there. Neither means there. Man, these key days verses sometimes, I swear. <laughs> carry thither one of the priests whom you brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. So what's going on here is the advisors go to the king and they say, look, you brought these people. They don't reverence the God of our land. They're uneducated. And that's why the lions are eating up people. The gods are mad. So the king decides to go get a representative, wise men, to come and educate these people in how to serve the God of the land. But notice the God of the land is not necessarily making reference to the one true God. Verse 28. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. How about every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And the men of Babylon made that name, 
whatever his name is. And the man, the man of Kuth made Negroes. And the man of Hamal, Ashima. And the Avites made Nabab. And Tarak and the Severbites burnt their children in the fire to ad- admirate the gods of the Sephirians. So there's your five gods. There's your five husbands. Are you are you with me? Yeah. So the five husbands that are being referenced here, or the five bells, came from these five leaders that came from these pagan nations that came into Samaria and then educated these people on these different five gods. So there was a time where in Samaria they believed in the one true God, but then there were five other gods, and then I haven't even got to the sixth one yet, but there's five other gods. So there was a practice going on that you could have a your patron God along with worship of the one true God. And it still actually is going on today with, with some of the secret societies where they believe in the one true God, they believe in the same creator we believe in, but these intermediaries that they go through are, are the little gods. Uh, it, it, it's the same practice going on, that we can deal with these smaller gods, but the one big god, nobody deals with him. He's so holy and so out there that nobody fools with him, and he don't fool with us. So that's why we worship the lower gods. It, at the end of the day, it comes down to polytheism. Polytheism. Okay, so the next verse says, So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they were carried away from since. So we feared the Creator, but at the same time was worshiping false deities. Make that make sense. But yet it still happens today. Okay, so now if if we go go back to John, the fourth chapter, and we stop where Jesus said Call your husband. That's where we are. Four. John 4, that thing just locked up. Okay, here we go. So in John 4, and we'll look at verse uh, 18. Verse 18. For thou hast had five husbands. So these five husbands that's being referenced here are the gods that the Sumerians uh, uh, were worshipping. How do we come to that conclusion? Because if you jump down to verse 20, after she comes back and says, I perceive you are a prophet. So in other words, Jesus knew about these other gods that she had associated herself with. Verse 20, our fathers, this is the woman talking, our fathers worship in this mountain. So the mountain being referred to right now is Mount, um, uh, uh, Mount Gresham. Gresham. Mount Gresham, if you look it up in the Old Testament and you, you read about it, but this is where Jeroboam and Umri and all them put the temple, 
So there was a temple that sat at the top of the mountain. It was dedicated to pretty much Baal and Malik, and they did weird stuff up there. I mean, you just read about how they were passing their kids through the fire, so they were sacrificing their kids. It's the same cult that exists today, the Babylonian ancient cult, and this is what was going on at the mountain at Samaria. The only difference was you had five gods up there. And then by the time Jesus came, they had introduced a new one, and this is during the time of the Hellenistic period. So now you have Apollo that then gets added to the list. So this is what Jesus was making reference to, and this is why the woman understood what he was making reference to as to why she responds about worship. So again, when it comes to your worship, you must protect it. Protect your worship. What do I mean? Allah tells us that our worship should solely be for him alone. We worship nothing but Allah. But because of distractions that Satan throws our way, worship of other things can become very subtle. Um, give you an example. In your Bible, in Genesis uh, uh, chapter 6, 7, 8 particularly, you read the story about these Nephilims. And if you remember, I told you the word Nephilim just means a mighty one. So basically, even though they were half-breeds, the word Nephilim comes about because these were individuals who held prominent positions at that time. They were different than the common people. They were put on pedestals as almost like they were gods. So that was then. What about our Nephilim of today? Now, when I say the word Nephilim right now, I'm not dealing with just half-breed children produced by fallen, or as people call them, fallen angels and human women or the jinn and, and women. I'm not talking about Nephilim and Nexus. I'm saying what the word really means, a tyrant, one high and mighty. What about the Nephilims of today? And if you don't know what I mean, let me give you an example. Our young people go and see Beyonce and Jay-Z. And all they got to do is come out on the stage and say, everybody, put your hands together like this and do the pyramid sign. And without questioning and without thinking for themselves what the Nephilim told them to do, they do it. We don't call them Nephilim no more. We just call them stars. But if you pay attention, these stars are being worshipped like gods. There are even artists who sing songs that tell the parents that uh, your children uh, belong to us now, not God. Um, um, Jay-Z actually has a song out right now, and I'm trying to think what the name of the song is in my head, and I can't think of what the name of the song is, but there's a part in the song where he says there used to be back in the day where we worship God, but in this day the kids worship us. Now, granted, he's just rapping, but if you think about what this man is saying, for you to even have an ideology like that, that these kids are worshiping you like a god, it makes you realize how these people really operate and think in their minds. And this is why you find the stars, as we call them, doing just crazy stuff. Um, um, I, I'm still to this day, what, three weeks later, baffled that Travis Scott has never been arrested yet. People died that night, and the count is still going up. But this man ain't gone to jail, ain't answered to no authorities. His record sales actually went 
skyrocketing out the roof the very next day. Um, I told you all once I finished looking into all this, I'll come back to show you what I found. Um, and, and, and based on what I found, yeah, this was all demonic. It was a planned sacrifice. The, the, the area that they did it in, set on ley lines, um, the video footage that I've tried to save and look at, you see, you see demons running around the crowd. Then when I started hearing other people who were actually at the concert saying that they saw demons running around the crowd, I knew I wasn't tripping. Because I wasn't at the concert. I'm just looking at people's phone footage. And I kept telling myself, if all these people got together and, and, and photoshopped and doctored this footage, that would be a big conspiracy. But there's no way that this many phones could doctor this up like this. And like I said in the videos, um, you, you clearly can see little devils running around. You don't actually see them. You see, like, the outline, the shadow of them. And, and I'm not talking about transparent smoke. I'm talking about what looks to be solid shadows just moving around the crowd and people just dropping to the ground, having seizures and dying. So the point is, Nephilim, as we would call them, tyrants, are still doing the same stuff that we read about in the Bible days. It's just different now. And because we're so lost in the environment, we're not paying attention to things spiritually. So it is important more than anything to protect your focus. This is where meditation on God comes in at. The Quran calls it thicker. Keep your mind on God. If it requires you to change the style of music you're listening to, do that. Um, music. I don't. I don't know if you all. But I, you know, I haven't broke down the science of sound just yet. But music is sound, and when you understand that music is one of the seven sciences that we've been talking about, and you learn how to actually use music, you can use music to either help people, or you can use music to hurt people. And a lot of the artists that are out singing right now, and, and do understand this, only a handful of them actually know what they're doing. The rest of them are just paid puppets who sign contracts with producers and directors, and they have no choice but to perform, because that's what they signed up for. And I don't know if you all realize this in this music industry, that they don't get to dress the way they want to dress. They're told what to dress in. They're told what to eat. They're told how to walk. They're told how to do things. They're told whether they can get on Facebook or not. They live a life of control. Everything they do is controlled by those outside of them. And if you think about it, that's a horrible way to live, that you can't think for yourself. Yes, we see them on stage laughing, having fun, entertaining. But if you listen to some of their personal stories, these people are miserable. Um, so anyhow, the rest of the story, uh, my thing keeps locking up. This is what I want you to see. Verse 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. The reason why this is stated, because remember, Jerusalem seems to be the focus of prayer, the Samaritan woman felt from the way she was taught that the focus of prayer was this mountain. And then Jesus comes back and he makes this statement where he says, Woman, believe me, 
the hour cometh when neither when you shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you know not. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and is now. When the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, mind you that Jesus says, and we close with this today, Jesus comes back and says, because now the woman has gone from the five husbands, the one you live with now is not yours. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Because I was told that the proper way of worship was the way I was taught. You say the proper way of worship is at Jerusalem. And then Jesus comes back and says, guess what? A time is coming, and it's right now, where man will no longer worship at this mountain or at Jerusalem. Have we, have we got to that day yet? And if you think about it, going back to the story that we ended with the last Sunday's class, Prophet Muhammad came into Jerusalem and prayed towards Jerusalem for almost two years until one day God just erupted invaded the prayer service and told him, get up and face the opposite direction. And when he did, others followed suit, and ever since that day, people from all around the world no longer prayed towards Jerusalem, but prayed towards the holy city. Now, here's the thing. You can either become distracted with praying towards the holy city, and this is what's going on. We are so focused on praying towards the holy city that we are forgetting the spirituality of why Allah even changed the direction of prayer and why Allah even has us all doing it in the first place. It's not the building that's our focal point. Allah is the focal point, and it's the fact that he has given us a command that we focus on, and that's why we do it. Granted, we can get into the history of why this was changed and that was changed, but beyond that, it all comes down to Allah. And this is why Allah says in the Quran that the whole earth is a masjid. In other words, you can get, you can reach me anywhere. The, the question is, is in the prayer, what am I more focused on? Am I more focused on Allah, or am I more focused on? Am I facing east completely? Can't can't have southeast. Can't have westeast. It's got to be east directly. As Samaya, your toes got to be pointed in the right direction. Even your nose must be lined up with your arms. And when you raise your hand, don't go past your earlobes. If you all get my point, I'm being facetious right now, but that's distractions. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying ignore those movements. I'm not saying that. But if I'm more focused on is my, is my thumbs past my earlobes, below the earlobes, right equal to the earlobes, the whole time I'm doing all this while I'm supposed to be edifying myself for having an alone time with Allah. Think about this for one quick second. Three times a day, 
have been appointed for you to personally come and communicate with your Lord. This is not something that you set up. This is something that he set up for us. Three times a day, he summons our presence to come into the office or the throne room. The question is, during that meeting period, what is your mind on? Because people tell me all the time, I pray the three prayers, but I just don't never feel that close to God. Well, the question is, during your prayer time, what is your mind on? It doesn't matter if you did five minutes, ten minutes, an hour. It doesn't matter. I can go on my face for three minutes. All of us can do this. Three minutes and get up and feel refreshed. Because the thing is, during those three minutes, I let my mind completely focus on Allah and Allah alone. You must remember Allah says that he is the energy of the universe. So if you feel depleted in energy, the only one who can give you more energy is Allah. And the only way you get that energy is to connect with him. So your connection today can be deeper tomorrow. Go for your questions. How do we do that? Because ADD exists. It's absolutely real. I mean, you can go in with the you can go in with the absolute most sincere heart that you're going to focus on a lie. You're going to do your prayers. You're going to do what you're supposed to be doing. And before you get halfway through it, you've already figured out you're having fish for dinner, and the kids need haircut, and. I got you. I got you. So to answer that question, this is what I'll say first. To get to that degree that you're talking about, which is the degree that all of us should aim at, but it now requires you to learn and study methods that the general church population considers devils. So I'm now talking about meditation. This is, I mean, right, and I've heard that too, too, but even in meditation, it's all over the place. But what is meditation? What, what does that mean Focus. meditation? What is it? Focus. That That's all it is? It's just focus. Okay. I mean, so no, that's not all. What does focus mean? A particular point of thought and staying on it. Okay. How hard is that to do? Mm-hmm. It's impossible. It's truly impossible. No, 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 no. Don't tell me it's impossible because if we humans can sit down, if we can sit down in front of a TV or a movie screen and watch a three-hour movie and stay focused and watch that movie, we can't say, we can't say what's impossible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is why I watch TV shows instead of movies. I got you. But if you admit, even when we're watching television shows or movies, our mind is not everywhere. Our mind is focused on what we're watching, yes? Oh. I have a comment. Go for it. Go for it. Our minds are like little children. It's all over the place. And children right. have to be children have to be trained. Because right. if they don't they'll be they just be butt wild. They just give in for whatever thoughts and desires and whatever they feel like doing. And, and our right. minds are the same. Place. So, no, 
meditation is truly a practice, and that practice may only consist of a minute or two in the beginning, you know, on the first day. Um, and there's different forms and methods of, of meditation. You know, one of the most basic ones is to concentrate on your breathing. And every time your mind runs off, you bring it back to your breathing. So right. And that's, what, that's what I was asking you. Maybe you can maybe you can help me on that one. <laughs> well, I tell you what. This is what I'm gonna do. This is directed towards Beth, but this is for everybody if you choose to try it. So Beth, I'm gonna give you an exercise to try, and then I'll follow up with you. So this is. Well, I'm going to tell you. Instructions. First, I need to know, are you a inner visual person or are you an outer visual person? What works best, inner vision or outer vision? Define. Um, inner vision meaning that you can get something on your mind and visualize it and keep that visualization there for a period of time. Outer vision would be where you would have to take the same idea or thought, word, whatever, and write it on paper and then put it in front of you so that you actually see it. Some people are good at visualizing. So, like, right now, if I say I want everybody to visualize a a beach ball just rolling down to you, some of us could successfully do that, and some of us would struggle to do that because we're just not good at visualization yet. Yeah, well, inner. Okay, inner You're good like, at inner visualization. Yeah, I can see the ball, but uh, trying to trying to focus on that ball in my mind, it uh, the ball gonna go away eventually. Like Sister Beth say, I uh, I already know what I got for dinner. Uh, all kind of oh. different thoughts. The brain just never stops. The brain won't slow right. down. Right. right. So, so I picture so a ball, and I'm gonna picture a hill, and then I'm gonna picture a tree. The, the ball is rolling by. I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint a whole scenario right. with it. Right, and that's what I would mean if, if if you did it. Okay, so I want you to write these instructions down so you don't forget one step that I'm getting ready to tell you. So step okay. one, being that you said internal, I want you to find something in your mind before you do this exercise that you're gonna think of. It could be anything, a person, a place, a thing, whatever. Just pick something to think about. Once you figure out what you're going to think about, step two, take about three to five minutes. I'm sorry? Uh, what would you? What do you recommend for the outer? For the outer, you would either take a piece of paper and write a word down or write a picture down. Or find a picture and 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 put it up on the wall, tape it, tack it to the wall or whatever, and sit in front of it and stare at it. So that would be your instead of visualization, that would be your way of visualizing is just by staring at at, at what you wrote. Okay, so part two. Once you get the object, place, whatever, take about three to five minutes to go through relaxation. I don't have to explain relaxation. Breathe a couple times, inhale, inhale, exhale. Relax your body. Come to a point of absolute relaxation. Once relaxed, focus your thoughts on just that one thing you picked. Now, let me let me throw this disclaimer in here. Sister 
think it was Sister Samaya who just said it, that the mind never stops. So I'm going to tell you this now. If you think meditation means to stop the mind, that's where we're getting hung up at. And unfortunately, for whatever reason in the West, we've been taught about clearing your mind means that you make your mind stop. That's a lie. You cannot make the mind stop. The mind doesn't stop. Even when you sleep, the mind doesn't stop. That's why we have dreams. <laughs> so what you do is you have to learn how not to fight the mind. Because when you fight the mind, you have to understand the mind's only doing what it knows to do. So when you fight it or resist it, you put the mind into shock mode because you're doing something out of its norm, and now it goes into panic mode. And this is now where it starts speeding up and you just feel confused and you feel like you have no control because you're, you're, you're having this battle with what you're trying to do versus what the mind wants to do. And you're trying to tell the mind to do something that is not created to do, which is be still and be quiet. And the mind doesn't compute that. What? Do what? Don't have no thoughts. How you do that? <laughs> can, you, can you give me the steps to that one? So what you do is, as you are focusing on what it is you want to focus on, what you're going to notice is thoughts are going to come. You don't resist the thought. You let the thought come. You acknowledge the thought. You see whatever it is the mind is trying to show you, and you let the thought come, and you let it pass. But you don't lose your focus on what you're focused on. So then when the next thought comes, um, what the kids are eating for dinner tonight, let that thought come. Take note of it. Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Let it come, and then just let it pass. After so long, what ends up happening is you will forget that you even are doing what you're doing. You're just, your mm -hmm. mind will blank out. Your mind will just blank out, and then randomly you'll come back to yourself like, oh, wow, I'm supposed to be focusing. At that moment, you have succeeded in what it means to calm the mind down. When you were able to trance out and your mind just kind of went into left field, you just blacked out for a minute. Now, that's just step one. Because now that you successfully have learned how to not necessarily tune the mind out, but kind of just turn the volume down a little bit. You ever you ever, you ever been watching TV and then somebody calls you and you can't hear them, so you don't cut the TV off, you just turn the volume down. TV's still on, TV's still playing, you're still looking at it, but the TV's turned down where you can actually hear what the other person's saying, and yet the TV's still on. Make sure that's what I'm saying? So the mind's not going to cut off. So I'm going to tell you that now. It's not going to cut off. But if you don't engage the mind after so long, the mind just kind of like, like Tina said, like a child that realizes I'm not getting the attention I want, so I'm just going to take a nap. I'm just going to lay down and take a nap. I'm through my tits tantrum. Look at me. Watch me. Hello. Hello. Y'all seen kids go tits tantrums and then midway to the tits tantrum, it's like, ah. And then it's pass out and go to sleep. <laughs> so, um, that's it. That, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you before we. No, you're good. Go ahead. Okay. Um, based on what we're talking about and preparing to pray and clearing your mind, um, back in April 2019, God had given me a word, and I shared this with um, my church, and, um, 
during the, I won't go through the whole word that was given, but the the word was titled the process of prayer. And in the in the word, um, God gave me where I had to actually physically do this in front of the church um, preparation and process and getting into the position. And one of the three things. That he, you know, first gave instructions are are absolutely what God told me. But in addition to those three things, I would like to give you four more things. And that is clear your thoughts, posture your body, breathe in the air provided by God. Our Father is the breath of life. Inhale, and as you say that, when you're breathing, inhaling and exhaling, this is your cleansing and purging process. You're cleansing, you're getting rid of those things. When you're inhaling, cleansing and breathing in brings peace and calmness. Take a deep breath, bring in life. That's what inhaling does. Exhaling removes the impurities of fear and anxiety. It clears the mind and removes the stress of life. You relax the muscles to loosen up the tightness and the tension. You release to cast out any pain and anger. And and this is what God has me to do when I go into my prayer with him. And it helps me to clear my mind, clear my thoughts, posture my body, get in relationship with him so that I can focus on him directly and I'm able to um block and essentially block my mind from any other thoughts besides what I want to talk about with God. So I share that with you all because um when you're dealing with a lot of stress, pain and these things that life brings at you, it's hard to clear your mind back and and focus and like I know I do know better than this. I can, I need to I know how to be spiritually acknowledging my surroundings. I know how to do this, you know. Sometimes we just need those reminders. So I just wanted to share those things that when you're inhaling, talk to yourself, talk to God and breathe in. Say, God, I'm breathing in the air, the ruach that you have provided to to me for the for the breath of life. I'm going to start inhaling and exhaling those things that are not of you. Whatever it is that you've taken on for that day, that time, that moment, remove it, release it. And and um, the, the, better, the more relaxed you are, the easier it is that things can slide off of you. Those things that we take upon, that, that attach onto us, that, you know, want to dig in or whatever. When you relax it, it can't hold on to the grip any longer. And then you're able to, like, slide it off like you just wiped some Vaseline on it. And it was like, okay, you slide down because you ain't got nothing to hold on to. So those, are, so, so those are some things that I feel led to share with you, Sister Beth, Sister Laura, Sister Tina, if these things are, um, you know, causing your your inability to focus on God and, and prayer. So... As women, we tend to take on more than our bodies have the ability to hold, but the, but we we do it anyway. And um, weight gets set in, and uh, we stop 
paying attention to ourselves and stop taking care of ourselves and those things that are around us that God has given us to take care of, you have to remember to take care of you. And the in doing these things, preparation and process by getting into the position um, will help as well. I hope that helps. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. So, so Beth, take take those steps. Oh, one thing I forgot to tell you. Do it for five minutes daily. Mm-hmm. I will, I'll start you there, and then I'll follow up with you. Okay, because and I, I want to make you, sure I understand uh, you're saying as the mind, like, goes off onto something else, I'm not to stop it, but I don't entertain it either. No, no, no. You entertain. Entertaining meaning let the thought come. So if you're meditating and the thought comes, I, I like pecan ice cream. Okay, acknowledge that thought that you like pecan ice cream. Don't don't freak out. Don't let yourself get disturbed. Like, oh, supposed to be meditating. No, no, no. Not supposed to be thinking about ice cream. Meditate. Don't do that because the moment you do it, you cause the mind to rise up. You want to be easy. You have to remember your mind is a thinking creature too. So instead of pushing it and agitating it, you just look at it like this. Have you ever dealt with a disgruntled person that was just coming at you crazy and the only way to get a hold of the situation is to be like, ma'am, sir, I, I completely understand where you're from. Where you're coming from, I sympathize with you. I'm trying to help you. Can you, can you, can we just, you get what I'm saying? You just, instead of aggressively going back at the thought and making it go away, because that's just going to make more thoughts come, you passively let it come. Acknowledge the thought because the mind will just have you think and then it'll move on. And then once the thought moves on, go back to what you're focusing on. That makes sense what I'm saying. Yeah, sounds easy. Yeah. And that's why I said only do it for five minutes because what you're going to find out is it's going to seem like your mind is constantly throwing a thought at you trying to get your attention. And that's what your mind is trying to do It's trying to get your attention. You must remember you within – want to be the center of attention. Mind wants to be known and seen. And when I say center of attention, I'm not talking about in the crowd. I'm talking about within yourself. The mind wants to be heard. It wants what it wants. But like Sister Tina said, it's up to you, ego, to train the mind so that you now have control over it. Outside of your control over this vehicle called the mind, it 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 kind of controls itself in autopilot or it can come under the control of somebody else or something else. If if that makes sense what I'm saying there. So we acknowledge the thought, then go back to what you're thinking, what you're focused on. Do it for five minutes. And what you'll start finding is you'll you'll find how much easier it is when your mind drifts off how simple it is for you to bring yourself back to focus without the fight. 
That's what this exercise is to do, is to show you that you do have the ability to bring your conscious mind back to what's at hand. You do that for five minutes, and then you extend it once you master five minutes, where you can keep your focus for five minutes, and then you'll extend it to ten minutes, and then from ten minutes, you'll extend it to twenty minutes, and so on and so on and so on until you feel that you have been mastered the art of what we would call quieting the mind. It's not stopping the mind. It's just training your will to override the mind and not have this fight going on. I'm in control. It's my mind. Not your mind. It's mine. So I do as I will with it. And if I don't want to think about ribs right now, we're not going to think about ribs. I acknowledge that you want ribs. You know, I acknowledge that you want them. But right now, I'm focused on this. So I'll get back to you on that. So that's what I mean by let the thought come, acknowledge it, and then let it pass. Don't dwell on the thought. That's the part where you have to practice that is not dwelling on what you just thought about. Because once the thought passes, you now have to go right back to the ball. See the ball. And then you'll see the ball, and then next thing you know, the ball's going to have a turtle. There's a turtle that came out of nowhere. Now there's a turtle. <laughs> there's a turtle in the scene. You don't know where this turtle came from. Now, here's the other part, and this is part two, and I'm only adding part two just a little bit. But once you get past the five-minute mark and knowing all this, what you find happening in your thoughts is as you're thinking, other thoughts within that one thought start coming up. For instance, you could be thinking about the ball, and then all of a sudden a man shows up, and he reaches down, and he picks up the ball, and he hands it to you. Well, what you need to now figure out is you didn't think about this man. So who is this man, and how did he get your thoughts? Because now what you have to understand is that you've now transitioned over into a, 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 a dimension. So now you're interacting now with other spiritual beings. And this is why I say that a lot of times we talk ourselves out of stuff because we say it's our imagination. And the imagination is very important, but the thing is, if the if the imagined man pops up and you didn't originally think about it, that's not your thought. Someone is engaging you on the on the mental plane, and you now have to listen and pay attention. That's the whole reason you meditated was to get here. So now you're here. Let's see how far down the rabbit hole you can go. But now if you get too deep and you get scared, bring yourself out of it. <laughs> Sister Samaya, have you ever meditated so deeply that you saw something that scared you, you had to bring yourself out of it? Uh, no, but um, when we were uh, originally talking about this, uh, one of my thoughts was that uh, once you master to a certain point, that it does evolve. Like, and I'm, I'm just, this is just an example, but there might be more to that ball than you imagine. It's your ball because you vis, you visualized it, but maybe you'll see more detail. Maybe you know, um, it evolves into something else because of your focus and concentration and the ability right. of right. the creativity of your own mind. Yes. Right. So, Sister Beth, start with the five-minute exercise. 
and this will lead you to the answer of what you're asking of how do you do that? How do you just connect the guy and stay there? And it's it's a mental thing. It's it's it's, it's just mental, and you just got to bring your mind to, and this goes back to the whole lesson today of distraction. The Bible says it this way, that we are to rid ourselves of the sin that so easily besets us. And as I always point out to people, notice it does not say rid yourself of the sin. Plural. It says rid yourself of the sin, singular, meaning this, whatever it is that's hindering you, Cut that off. Whatever's got your pace in the spirit slowed down right now, cut that off. It's not worth it. If it's slowing you down spiritually, it ain't worth it. Never let the devil get the best of us, y'all. And, and, and again, I'm not going to be one of these teachers that try to tell us because we saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. Satan can't touch you. That would be an outright lie to us. Mm-hmm. An outright lie. And this that's is what causes discouragement in people. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. This is why a lot of people are discouraged because they're being told because you got saved. You know, Satan is known. Now that you try to get close to God and you are sincere, you have a target on you. Yeah. Now, if you just try to get close to God and you're not sincere about it, you're not a threat to the kingdom of darkness. But if you are sincere about becoming who God says you are, the man or the woman that God says you are, and you are willing to submit, and you are willing to let God work on you and bring out of you what's in you, you now have a target on you because now this is about to be fun. Because you think Satan and his minions going to sit back and let us become who God says we are with no struggle? You got you got it twisted. And if you think about it, once you get to where you're supposed to be, this is what makes you so strong and the spiritual giant that we're supposed to be because I don't like David, when he had to face Goliath and they said, Aren't you scared? I don't I don't I done fought the lion barehanded. I killed a bear with a jawbone. I did this, I did that. What is this? And when you have conquered the devil in so many different ways in your own life, and he comes with the attack, like I said, that's where you just wipe the blood off and you look at it and you just look Y'all can't see my face right now, but I'm doing the Bruce Lee face where he where he shake his head after he you know, he done hit somebody, he shake his head. And sometimes, again, you just got to let the devil know. You may have hit me. You may have knocked me down, but I'm not staying here. This is not my destiny. This is not the end of the story right here. And you pick yourself back up, and you get your energy back, and you keep going. And when the next battle comes, you stand. Stand until you can't stand no more. Amen. Amen. And keep keep this one thing in mind. God gives us a promise that when the enemy comes in like a flood, 
God says, I myself will lift up a standard against it. So understand, God does not give us a promise that Satan will not come at us. But he does tell us when the battle gets overwhelming, I personally will get involved and lift up a standard against you. So that would mean up until God feels the need to intervene in that fight, that fight is between you and that devil. And God has given you the power and the knowledge on how to fight back. The question is, are you going to paw up and throw your fist back, or are you going to cower in the corner and just get your butt whooped? Amen and amen. Amen. All right. Questions, comments for the good of the order before we end today. You talking to me. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, nonetheless, God is good. God is good. All right. So to give y'all update on uh, on uh, our text on Friday, everything is 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 good and operational. We're gonna put a plug in today, and we're good. We're good. Um, in the next week or two, um, I'm going to. Trying to think how I'm going to do this, rather just explain it to you all during a class setting or do it in the email. But we're probably going to have to change um, our conference to a new number. So I know if you guys have memorized the number and all that, you we. the phone number is the passcode. Uh, uh, the both the passcode and the phone number may change. That's what we're getting ready to use this plug for today. If the plug works, everything will stay the same with the number and the ID code. If the plug don't work, we're gonna have to go to the actual software website and use that to do what it is we're doing. But inshallah, I'm trusting that the plug will work and everything is to stay the same on you all's end format on art on the. Digital side will be different, but you all in will be the same. So Allah knows best. I, I trust God and I trust the, the tech people, and we 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 we're getting it done. We're getting done. And like I said Friday, you know I didn't think we would be able to even get what was needed because of finances. But then God moved, and I, that's why I always tell people when God wants something to be, He'll provide. He'll provide. He will provide. He will provide. And, um, love y'all. Thank all y'all for the support for the ministry and um, just trying to. I'm trying to get the message out there to the general public. I just don't want it to be whacked out and and crazy. Cause y'all know how folks can be. I like his mm-hmm. message, but it's just so much background noise. I like the message, but it sounds like he he just put some uh some 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 egg boxes up in the room. And <laughs> now, and, and you know, as silly as that sounds, little things like that you can lose the attention of an audience because audio or something's not so great. People just don't want to hear it because the audio ain't so hot, and mm-hmm. you know. So, so you know we what? are trying to make. Go ahead, Sister Samaya. So, 
so, and I know when you make these recordings, you know that you that we need to be conscious of when we're muted and when we're not muted, because we go back right. and listen to the recordings and we're listening to whatever noise is going on in the background. So yeah, you're right. Right. Because right. <laughs> I, I personally would, you know, you want to get the message. You don't want to get all the the, the other stuff. <laughs> right. 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 Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tease with Sister Beth real quick, and this is just teasing. So like, there was a couple classes ago, we were on class, and Sister Beth was on mute, and then she unmuted herself to ask the question. But what made me giggle was in the background, all I heard was wow, 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 like all oh, the cats, the cats are back there fighting. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Whole whole cat fight in the background, like, yep, gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> edit that out. The cat fight that took place. <laughs> wow. I think that was the one where I was asking a question as I was asking it, the cats went into fight and I was like, Oh my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> like out of all times to pick the fight, you know, you would do it. The, there, there's been a couple of times, I don't know if y'all have heard it, but there's been a couple of times where I'm not at the center recording. I'm actually, you know, at the house, and then Milo will start barking or go down to the door. It's like, oh, my God, please stop. Please stop, because now i gotta re- I got I to gotta delete all that. But I don't, do y'all ever hear him when he's doing that? Uh, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard little puppy fingernails on the floor before. <laughs> but, but for the most part, yeah, every blue moon, if I'm if I'm at the house recording and doing the class, he'll he'll get excited because you know he thinks he hears somebody outside or something like that, so he'll run to the door. And either bark or either start whining because he wants to get out to be nosy. It's like, dude, I'm recording Milo because sometimes I put y'all on mute. I put y'all on mute and I'm like, Milo, I am recording right now. And then there's that moment you got to think about it like, he don't know what recording is. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, all right. Um, we're going to tie this plug, and inshallah, it works. If it don't, like I said, worst-case scenario, I'll just let you guys know. Like, look, when we call in, just call in this way, and we'll go from there. All right. Nonetheless, Sister Samaya, you – you, I know the other day you said you were leaving. I just can't remember if you left already or – I am in Columbus. You are in Columbus. All right. All right. Yes. Well, and I will be beast, here beast. tomorrow. Okay. 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 So look, look while while we're on that subject, um, please keep my mom in prayer because we've been looking to get this this uh, cataract surgery for quite some time, and so here we are. We have it scheduled, and she's developed the sty and the the eye that we're going to do first, which is next week. <laughs> and so it's like, man, I have to take her to the doctor tomorrow so they can take a look at that. Um. But then you know they're talking about this uh, this uh, new strand of COVID that's going around. I'm just hoping. Yeah, that we can get I saw that this morning. 
Yeah, I want to help him get through this process before it hits the U.S., if you know what I mean, because so, none of us are. are well, according, uh, to, according to what I was looking at this morning, they, they that was why the breaking news came, because they said that at this point they pinpointed that, I guess, several people came from over there that possibly were infected and they got here to the States and have interacted with other people. So they're concerned that this is about to spread. And I thought to myself, and I actually told somebody this this morning, uh, uh, Sister Samaya, I said, it's starting to become a pattern to me that when things start to calm down, mm-hmm. that they randomly come up with a new virus, a variant, should I say. And then mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago by, and then we're right back to cray-cray again. So it's almost like a fear factor that, oh, they're not tripping no more, guys. Everybody's starting to get along. Let's come again. There's a new barrier out. The mutant escaped. The mutant escaped, guys. The mutant has escaped. <laughs> Told y'all about the old ladies were telling me about the mutant. The mutant and got out. I, you know, I believe in mutant to aliens. So I'm listening to her like, really? I ain't uh, where the mutant escaped. She said, yeah, he left, he left the U.K. came over here to America. What? Her husband looked and said she means the the virus mutated. Like, oh, <laughs> she had a mutant shape. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you saying that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a it was an older lady trying to explain it, and she kept saying the mutant escape. And I'm listening like, oh wow, I heard this on the news. What mutant? She said, you ain't hear about that? He, he escaped from the U.K. and got here to America. I'm, I'm about to look this up tonight. Y'all got an alien and ain't told nobody? And then when the husband started laughing, and he said she's trying to say the virus mutated. It's like, oh. Like, man, I got excited. Like, oh, we really caught one now? We really, really caught one. <laughs> Well, you know, on top of that, after all these, they're, they're talking about boosters and double boosters and and, and all that, and, and none of this is um, supposed to be able to deal with this new strain. So they're pumping people right. full of whatever for the time being. For no reason. To come along, and then they have to pump them with something else. Come on now. Yeah. 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 And the part that- yeah, how they're pumping our children. We don't know what this is going to do to our children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the parents is yeah. on board. Ooh, yep. yeah. And I just, I just, I just explained to somebody the other day that I see a time getting ready to come where the parents that refuse to get these kids vaccinated, they're gonna make it state law that you mm-hmm. have to vaccinate these kids, or you either lose your kids or go to jail. And that's why I said that's when I first heard about the kids. Say it again. That's what makes me think I need to go ahead and just take my kid out of school. I got you. But either way it goes, it's going to come down to them forcing these kids. I'm, I'm with Samaya. We don't know what's in these, these needles. And, and, and the way the government has operated over the years with, with secret operations and even down to Vietnam, experimenting on our own soldiers and stuff. Like, these people don't care. They do not care. 
And 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 I keep telling y'all, y'all think I'm saying it to be funny, but I'm so serious. The day of X Men is coming. Yeah. You gonna see mutants, mutants, and weird stuff fighting out in the streets? Yeah, I, I showed y'all an article the other week of a lot of people having mutations right now. People growing horns and tails and stuff that's just not normal. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, they're going to say either you take the shot or you can't return to school. I think that they'll do that before they do anything else. It's like the other vaccines. The other vaccines, they've done the same thing. Either you're vaccinated or you can't attend public school. Right, right. That's that's the train of thought anyway. But a lot knows best. A lot knows best. (laughs) All right. I love y'all. Peace be upon y'all. Time for y'all to go eat dinner. Mm-hmm. Well, Sister J-Hot just woke up from a nap, so you already ate all, already, Sister J-Hot. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, I know y'all hear me in the background running water. <laughs> I actually did. did I, I did. What you about to cook? Oh, I'm about to have some uh, vegetable fried rice and some calamari. Oh snap! Yeah. Okay. Oh snap! <laughs> oh snap! Look, everybody else got quiet. Like, uh, that is nasty, calamari. <laughs> that is just nasty. <laughs> Rice. Rice is squid. Rice and squid. What a match. Rice and squid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I love y'all. Peace be upon y'all. We'll convene Wednesday night, and inshallah be in prayer that we plug this, and it works with no problems. And, again, love y'all. Thank y'all for support. And we'll get the word out and go from there. All right. I love y'all. Good night. Love you. Talk to everybody Wednesday night. Inshallah. Good night, y'all. Good night.